0: Alrighty, folks, we had a little technical difficulty there, but welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston. And before we get started, I want to go ahead and uh, mention that I have the Stone and Tile Inspection and Troubleshooting Class coming up February 7th through the 10th. So if you want to get in on that, uh, just give me a holler at fHouston at gmail.com. That's f-h-u-e-s-t-o-n at gmail.com. All right, on with the show. Uh, basically, I'm telling folks here that uh, we've got an exciting show, and I should probably title this show What You Wanted to Know About Diamonds But We're Afraid to Ask. And uh, uh, you're with General Tool. And I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company, and then we'll get into the questions. So go ahead, Adam. All yours.
1: Sure. Um, I, uh, I'm i going to be doing a, a seminar with you at TICE, and I thought I'd call the uh, the seminar – what you didn't know, you didn't know about diamond tools. Yes. So that, that could be a, a title too. Um, so General Tool is the largest manufacturer of construction diamond tools in the world. There's, I believe now, 11 factories, and, um, and I work in the, the stone and, and tile division. And I, I was trying to remember when I sold my first diamond tool, and I, I hate to age myself, but I, I think it was 1986, and um, and it was a disaster. But uh, <laughs> I've learned a lot since then and grown, and uh, and and here we are. So I've been doing it a long time.
0: Perfect. Uh, as a matter of fact, I can remember back. I, I think I've been in this industry a long, long time longer than you have, and I can remember when diamonds first came out. Um, I was in a restoration business at the time, so. I was using the old Frankfurt bricks and uh, sandpaper, et cetera, et cetera. But let's get right into the questioning because a lot of these questions, I actually posted a thing on Facebook a couple of weeks ago asking asking people, what do you want to know? You know, what do you want to know about abrasives? Um, what do you want to know about diamond tooling? And, of course, we came up with a bunch of questions. And I guess the first obvious question is, uh, how do they work? How does a diamond tool work?
1: Well, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure your audience is pretty smartened up, so there may not be a whole lot of new information, but I'll give you the the gist of it. Um, the protruding diamonds in the tool, regardless of, of the matrix or the bond, um, they scratch the surface of the material that, that you're working on. And the larger the, the diamond particle, the deeper the scratch. And then eventually the, the diamond wears down. And... It starts to round over, and then it's got to be removed or or ejected so that you're into a new layer of diamond, and um, this is a a term called controlled erosion, and that's really how diamond tools work, controlled erosion. It's why it's it's really critical to know the material that you're working with so that you, you get the right bond and the right mix of the right diamonds. And so, we're
0: and we're gonna we're gonna get into that. So you know there's you know as well as I do there's there's lots of lots of diamond companies out there or I should say distributors selling diamond tools. So you know how do we evaluate a diamond tool? How how would one go about that?
1: Um well I I used to say it's three factors speed, price, and life. Um but but giving it some thought, I would add also to that the skill set of the worker and the quality of the cut. Um, Speed is obvious because time is money. Um, Price is is real easy to see up front, um, but it doesn't tell you overall value. And life, as long as it's not countering speed, if you follow me.
0: Yes, I do. Then...
1: um, You know when i'm evaluating tools i have to take into consideration the the skill set of the operator because that's a huge variable huge Um, absolutely so it's best to have your best person do the evaluating and then quality of cut i added that because you could have a blade that's lightning fast But then if you have to spend a lot of time cleaning it up, you might have negated all the time that you saved in the cutting. Makes sense. You follow me? So uh,
0: We do. And, you know, as far as the diamond goes, I mean, we hear people all the time saying, you know, are these real diamonds? Are they, you know, mine diamonds? Or are they industrial diamonds? Or I guess you would call them fake diamonds. So, what, what type of diamonds do we find in, in your, your tool in
1: particular? Well, they're certainly not fake, but they are synthetic. Um, and and this is where it would be really nice to to be able to show pictures, and we're certainly going to do that at, at TICE 2022 um, in that presentation uh, because natural diamonds have irregular size, irregular shape, and inconsistency and quality. where synthetic diamonds, you can control the size, control the shape, and get consistent quality. Um, and uh, some people might find it interesting that they're both evaluated the same way by by the three Cs, cut, color, clarity. Um, in, in our application, the ideal cut is a cubo-octahedron, and the first time I heard that, I went to Cuba. What? But, <laughs> but that that that's the ideal shape. It has the highest impact resistance, and it has the most cutting points. And it guarantees that shape guarantees that no matter how it falls into the segment or the matrix, that there's a sharp point sticking up to do your cutting. Then, the the second C is clarity, because inclusions can be fracture points, and and it can uh, can wear too quickly or break too quickly. And then color shows us the quality level. The the good synthetic diamonds are very yellow. There it is, your three Cs.
0: Interesting. Now, I get this question all the time, and I'm sure all the guys out there listening uh, are going to ask this question, and, and the, let's take it into two steps. Let, let's look at diamond saw blades, core bits, et cetera. And then we'll talk, play the same, apply the same answer to uh, say diamond abrasives for, you know, honing floors or, or, or wherever. Uh, and that is, you know, why are they wearing out so fast? I get this question all the time. You know, I bought a set of diamonds. I bought a diamond blade and God, it's wearing out so quick. So what are we doing wrong? Or are we doing anything wrong?
1: Um. Well, I, I just got this phone call yesterday. You know, from a, a distributor. He called up and he said, "Hey, my guy's angry. Um, he only got this much usage and it's toast." And I said, "Well, what do you what do you mean it's toast? You got to you got to qualify that." So, you know, to you I would say, well, "What do you what do you mean it's worn out?" Because you know, let's let's use diamond blades specifically. So, if a blade is th- that segment is completely worn out you're all the way down to the core and and it wore too fast then your bond was too soft um the the metal holding the diamonds in place wore away faster than your diamond usage and they were ejected prematurely Mm -hmm. but if the blade stops cutting before the segment is completely worn down then the bond is too hard the exposed diamonds are rounded over and and they've become like ball bearings. They're working against you. So you have to dress the blade, which means you have to wear away that top layer of metal and diamonds and expose a whole new set of diamonds. Um, but there is an exception to that. If a blade becomes overheated, and, and you've probably seen this where it turns blue, yep, um, yep. redressing it won't fix the problem uh you you have actually changed the metallurgy of of the metal it's it's like you you cooked the segment again and that that can't be reversed
0: hmm. i see so yeah you know, i I guess it boils down to you know um I'm kind of jumping ahead in my line of questioning here, but it's a good point to to actually ask this question and does that have to do with the does anything does that wearing have to do with anything with say the quality of the blade or, or the concentration of the diamonds in the blade? Why don't we talk about that?
1: Um, okay, well let's take them one at a time. I mean there is a lot of of factors. Um, diamond concentration is is a big one. It's it's basically the ratio of diamond to the material that's that's holding it in place, and we call that the bond, okay? So uh, a, a good example of that is granite blades versus uh, a glass blade. Uh, a granite blade uh, has large pieces of diamond as a general rule, okay? And a glass blade has very small pieces of diamond. And the analogy I like to use, ha- have you ever done any woodworking? Oh, yeah. Okay, so if I just want to rip a piece of wood cut looks like I just I just want it fast and straight. Well, that that carbide blade tends to have large pieces of carbide and not many teeth. And then if I want a really, really nice clean cut on, on a nice piece of wood, that blade tends to have smaller teeth and a lot more of them. And on a micro level, uh, your diamonds work the same way. Hmm. You follow me?
0: I do. Makes a lot of sense. So now you know.
1: So there. Sorry.
0: I said go ahead. Continue.
1: Okay. So so that's that's diamond concentration, and then then we get into the bond or the matrix. That's a that's a very ethereal term because it's it's generally proprietary. You don't get to know what all is in there right right. and um so that's why i i i highly recommend in the beginning that you have a good relationship with your supplier so that they can guide you i mean you know a lot of guys have said why do these blades all look the same are they all coming from the same place um no but but they're you know they're all using similar uh technology. So you need help, right? You need a good relationship with your supplier. And then, then you got to do your own evaluating, but, but your supplier should at least give you a good starting point. And then you can, you can make a, a value analysis, which is to take all the factors and then, and then look at your value. So the, the, the matrix the bond, and, and we're, and we're going to use metal bonds here in, in particular, so that's, you know, core bits, cup wheels, blades, and um, you, you have a range of hard to soft. And where it gets confusing is that the, it's opposite when you talk about the materials. So let me give you two extremes, okay? Granite is very hard, but it's not abrasive. So you want a soft bond, so that the metal wears away um, consistent. Mm-hmm. On the other extreme, let's take cinder block, extremely abrasive. You need a hard bond, otherwise your your diamonds are going to be exposed too fast, and they'll just they'll they'll literally just fling off of the uh, off of the blade, and you don't get full use. So, everything is a balance in that bond. you need to it's critical that you know the material that you're working with. when you're doing restoration, I'll bet before you even start on a job, you know what that material is, so you at least have a starting point and then you go from there right exactly so same thing here you need to know you need to know what it is you're working with and then have a good starting point and then you can make adjustments. But as as a general rule, the faster the blade cuts, the shorter the life. So it's all about about balance.
0: And that makes sense. And does that same issue with the soft bond versus the hard bond also apply to, you know, for the guys out there that do restoration work and they're, they're choosing a diamond, they're, you know, maybe honing a marble floor versus a granite floor. So it, it, does that same theory apply to the diamond abrasives as well?
1: Absolutely. You know, just like your metal bonds, your resin bonds have varying degrees of hardness. Um, When you were doing restoration, did you ever try using concrete polishing pads on your marble floor? Yeah, it
0: doesn't work very well.
1: (laughs) Doesn't work good at all because concrete is, is more abrasive, requires a different bond. If I use my my marble tools out on that concrete, I mean, I can watch them just disappear. So, you know, again, you need, a, you need a good guide. You need a good relationship. Whoever, whoever you're, you, know, you get them from, you need to have a good relationship with them so that they can guide you, at least start you in the right direction. And then you have dialogue afterwards to say, okay, that worked all right, but I, I really need more speed or I really need more life or I really need, you know, you need to have that relationship. It's critical.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I, we have to remember too, that we're dealing with in, in the stone portion of it, we're dealing with different, different hardnesses, different abrasives uh, resistance of some of these materials. But even within one category, limestone, for example, uh, there are soft limestones and hard limestones. So I, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. It's really important to be able to communicate with your, with your supplier as to, you know, this is what I'm trying to cut. You know, what do you recommend what recommend that I use? Now, one of the little tricks I used to use back in the old days when it came to uh getting more life out of my uh my blade especially would be to reverse the reverse the uh the RPM on the or reverse the uh the saw blade itself. Is that recommended? Is does that do anything?
1: Well, it it does. It's it's an old school trick and And it works, so so you have these diamonds protruding, but it's going in one direction. so you've worn one side of the diamond, and when you flip it over, now you're working on the other side of the diamonds. so it it does work um, i I don't recommend it i if you're constantly having to do that, you're either not dressing the blade enough or you've got the wrong blade, but if you have the right blade, dressing it should eliminate the need to be doing the reversing, but it does work. I can't deny it. Right. It's just, I I can't recommend it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I've noticed when uh, I used to cut stone a lot that I would do that, but then the blade would wear out quicker. So I guess I got a little bit more life out of my blade, but probably chose the wrong blade. So, so speaking of dressing, uh, how would you recommend you dress a blade and what, what is a recommended practice for that? Um, th-
1: there's, there's a lot of ways you can use uh, a grinding stone. You can use, a, <laughs> I've got a block of uh, a sandstone, uh, in my backyard that, that I use all the time. Um, we sell dressing sticks that are aluminum oxide that are made just for, uh, for doing that. And, um, Interestingly, I was having a conversation with, uh, with park industries and we were talking about the, uh, the, the substrate of the, of the bridge saw, you know, whether, you know, concrete or wood. And, uh, and I said, well, I, I prefer a concrete table because as you're going through the stone and, and going into the concrete, that concrete's always redressing the blade where, where wood doesn't dress at all. If anything, it might be working against you. So, um there's there's lots of ways but but there is products that are specifically designed for dressing those are dressing sticks and they're Absolutely. they're not expensive they work but what, the other thing though I have to add to that is is what I see a lot is I see guys not redressing long enough, you know mm-hmm. if those diamonds are worn out i I, there was a guy named Rick Norland who knew more about diamonds, probably forgotten more than, than I'll ever know. And he said, Adam, he says, you got to remember that a diamond is the greatest cutting surface in the world. And I kind of went, well, yeah. He goes, but remember, it's also the greatest ball bearing in the world, mm-hmm. right? So if you've got a ball bearing, she's got to go. You've got to get down to that next layer. So you've got to make sure that you, you get all the way down there. And so, You know when when you ask well how often do i do it well that's up to you i mean in a generality is as soon as you see you're losing performance or on a bridge saw your 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 amps are going up well then it's time but i i know other guys like the best glass guy i know ken Milberry. he he dresses his blade in the morning before he starts and then after break and then after lunch, he's constantly redressing. He never lets the blade get to that point. But I don't know anybody else that does that.
0: Now, that's a good but idea. Dress- dressing's he important. Is- Yep, get into that habit. Let me get the phone number out here before I go on with my questions. If anybody's listening live, the call in number is 323 870 3968. That's 323 870 3968. If you have any questions uh, uh, for Adam. So, Adam, you know, when, when I look at a catalog or I'm um, in a distributor and I, I see all these blades. And the and, and same can be applied to core bits, I guess, and everything else. We've, we've got different types. Uh, you know, you've got the segmented blade, the continuous rim blade, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Can, can you go into that a little bit and explain, you know, each one of those should be used or what the difference is, I guess, is what I'm asking?
1: Um, Sure. I mean, if we're talking about different diamonds and applications, man, we could be here all night. But my my company has... <laughs> Uh, we have a mining division. We have an optical division. We have an automotive division. I mean, diamonds are used for a lot of things. But if we're going to talk specifically about diamond blades, um, uh, you have a lot of variables. You have you have continuous rim blades, uh, which are going to be your smoothest cutting. And then you have blades with, with segments and spacing in between. Um, that space is called a gullet. And uh, and that's a, a, a variable. Um, the gullets al- allow, well, they draw in more air and more water um, to keep the blade running cool, um, but they're not as clean cutting as the continuous rim blades. So, again, everything's a balance. Everything's a balance.
0: Makes sense, you know. Uh, and one of the questions that, that came up the other day, I actually saw on one of the forums that I, be, that I belong to, and that is uh, one of the fabricators was getting a lot of blowout uh, on, on his material. He happened to be cutting a piece of uh, piece of granite, and he was asking, "You know, how can I prevent blowout?" So I know how to do that, but let, let me hear it from the diamond guy.
1: <laughs> well, um, usually blowout is caused by stress. You know, as uh, all blades are tensioned to run at, at certain speeds with, with certain horsepowers. Um, but as the blade is pushing through the material, there there's stress. If there's light stress, it, it, it runs very true. If there's a lot of stress, you've got that blade kind of torqued. And as it gets to the end and there's a point of release, um, you're going to get a pop. So you know this can be fixed by uh, having a stiffer core, a different core. Uh, it can be fixed by you know having a blade dressed and and you know new diamonds. Um, so there, there's a lot of factors there. There's there's not a, a specific set answer, but but generally blowout is caused by the, the stress as it's going through the cut. And and you'll probably notice that the longer the cut, the stress builds, 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 builds. Um, we were testing a new blade on Dekton last week, and um, and you have to make relief cuts um, across all sides of the slab. They say one, uh, top and bottom, but I, a- after my experience last week, I would say you have to re- make relief cuts all the way around because uh, this is a brand new blade, but there was stress in the material itself.
0: Yeah. And
1: we ran, we we made a one inch wide cut the entire length of the slab. And when I took that strip and laid it out to evaluate the quality of the cut, that thing was bowed a half of an inch. So there there can also be stress in the material too. So it isn't always just the blade.
0: Absolutely. And I, I see that a lot with a lot of these engineered materials, uh, you know, when you have a combination of of stone quartz in that case and and then resins, uh, you can end up with all kinds of all kinds of issues. So uh, choosing the right yeah. blade is extremely important there. You know, one of the questions that came in from from the group that where I posted the questions and uh, it was it was kind of an, an interesting uh, question. And you may have already answered this, but is there ever going to be. Or is there, or is there ever going to be a universal blade that will cut everything?
1: Um, The answer is yes. Really? But it's not what you think. The the answer is absolutely. (laughs) Have you ever seen the blade that goes on on a fireman's rescue saw? Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. There is a blade that is designed to go through anything, a car door, a block wall, anything. Um, it's not a pretty cut. It's pretty, pretty ugly. Um, and, and we manufacture those that, uh, uh, that is called a, a BSL, which stands for braised single layer blade. And so the edge of that blade, what it looks like is it looks like you dip that edge all the way around in raw, large particulate diamond. And, uh, that's a really cool technology that that we're finding more and more and more applications for. Um, we make uh, BSL tools uh, for grinding metal and steel. That's uh, it's called our Diamond X line. But I pull tools from that metal line all the time over into the, the stone because they work great on stone. Um, one of the things we just introduced this year is a, uh, a BSL core bit, that core bit will go through porcelain, it'll go through granite, it would go through Corian, and, and here's the shocking one, if I need to, I can push it through uh, a stainless steel or a cast iron sink. Mm, wow. So the, the answer is yeah, there is. but is it what you, is it going to give you the cut that you want? Um, I certainly wouldn't use a, a BSL blade or a rescue blade um, on my granite countertops. No, it's, it's not going to be pretty. So, there I you could go. see
0: that being a real, a real chipped uh, type cut too, and too rough. Yeah. But uh, um, so, when it comes to any anything new out there, say within the last five years, as far as design goes, that we should be looking at or be aware of.
1: Um, definitely. Yes. Um, th- this, this company that I work for, they have over 300 patents on diamond tools and they've invented, um, a lot of the things that we now take for granted. They invented the porcelain blade, the, uh, uh, the, the mesh continuous rim, um, the, the, the pattern diamond segment. So let, let's talk about that for a second. Cause that's, that's one thing that is there's still not many manufacturers out there can, that can do that so so the old technology is you take diamond powder of of different different types um, and then you you put them into a container and then you add diamond and you mix it as thoroughly as you can then you put it into a mold and you heat it and you press it and boom you you have a segment but Pattern Diamond we call it Zenesis, which is also our our flagship brand. every single diamond is specifically placed and and you can see it you can see the pattern you can see the rows Interesting. and um that that process you know we're still we're still experimenting with and and constantly coming out with with new products and so originally that was uh, single diamond placement. You could see the individual diamonds in rows. Now we're up to, uh, multiple diamond chips, um, clusters of diamonds, and those are put into patterns and we can vary those patterns, uh, to change the, the performance. So that's, that's one of the things new. Um, uh, what I love about my job is uh, the, the creative freedom. You know, we have these incredible engineers and uh and I can say, hey guys, um I think I think we need this. And so we just came out with a uh, a contour blade for cutting radiuses and circles in porcelain. Uh, on our retail side, uh we just came out with a tile saw. that's different from old-school tile saws that were made for floor tile, where this one is made more specifically for porcelain pavers in these real thick, uh, large-format pavers. Um, And then we just finalized uh, four new products that will be launched at TICE 2022. So never-ending process here and uh and and i want the listeners to know that we're always looking for suggestions always looking for you know a vacuum you know what what's the industry missing and and we're always uh playing with with new ideas and and new concepts and, and you know you know what's next
0: you know i want to switch gears a little bit here cuz you kind of reminded me you know, one of the things that, that I used to get years and years ago, and, and to some degree we still get this um this um I'm trying to think of what I should call it, where, where sales guys will tell you, you know, you can't skip a grit. You gotta use all our grits from, you know, thirty grit all the way up to twenty billion grit size and you've gotta go through twenty eight steps in order to get there. So let's talk um edge polishing. Uh you have a three step system, don't you? We have several. Huh
1: and and so here's the simplest way that I that I will explain it you know the goal of your edge polishing is to match the factory surface so right. however you get there is all good you know it's it, the the art is to be able to match the edge to the top the the guy that I I learned from way back in the day shout out to Glenn Sigler uh you know he taught it as an art that that you know nobody needs a granite countertop it's a luxury and so it should be fabricated as a luxury it should look your 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 project should look like it's coming out of you know one piece of stone so however you get that edge to perfectly match the top is good i don't judge you know if it takes you 3 steps, 5 steps, 7 steps, 12 steps. I I don't judge, but how does your edge look in relation to uh to the top? Um I'm a big fan of of 3 step pads cuz it saves time. We've got um wet 3 step pads that that are aimed more specifically at engineered stone. We've got dry 3 step pads and um I explain it like this. Your your standard sequences 50 grit, 100, 200, 400, 800, 1500, and 3000. Seven steps. That's that's typical. Sometimes you you can add one at the at the high end and one at the low, but that's that's the basic. And then your three step pads. I explain it like this. Your number one is doing the work from 50 to 200. So you shouldn't jump off of the one until you're equal to what you would expect from your 200 pad. And then your number two is going from 200 to 800, so don't jump off the number two so you get to eight, an equal of eight. And then your number three is going from 800 to 3,000. So I would say your number one or your first three pads, those are sanding the material; they're taking out the saw marks, uh, you know, chips and scratches, whatever. And uh, and then your number two is honing you're generally taking out the swirl patterns from your first pad and prepping it for polish. And then your number three, all it's doing is polishing or your, your last three grits, all they're doing is polishing. So. Makes sense. Yeah. However you get there is good.
0: Now, does that, does that also apply to, you know, top polishing or floor surfaces and we're dealing with a, you know, a, a horizontal surface or is that a different, different animal?
1: Um, I have not ever had good luck surface polishing, um, with three-step pads. Maybe there's guys out there with skills, you know, beyond mine, but I haven't seen it. Um, you know, when, when you're, you know, we make pads that they use in the factories, you know, the, the, the thicker pads and the metal bonds, and, you know, you've got a lot of pressure, a lot of water. Um it it it's tough to mimic that in a in a hand application. All right. So maybe some guys out there could pull it off. I I I can't.
0: Yeah, it is difficult and I can tell you firsthand, uh I can pull it off, but it's not necessarily um I don't want to say this. It's all in the polishing phase. And that usually requires abrasive powders, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a that's a topic for a whole another <laughs> whole another show. So you know, yeah, the, I, the I, seminar coming coming up at Tice is uh, it's going to be interesting because besides hearing your voice and my voice, you're going to actually show slides. So why don't you give me our, give the give the listeners a rundown of what you're going to cover in that in that particular presentation?
1: Well, you know, my goal here and my goal for there is, is not to talk about us you know that that serves our company but it doesn't serve our industry my goal is to help people to be able to make good decisions because like we talked about earlier a lot of these diamond tools all look the same i could show you two blades that we make that are absolutely identical we use the same mold they both have a a silver uh colored segment but one now, now we have a, a a grading system that we use for our bonds. A granite bond is a is a ten, and a let's say a a a green concrete might be a, a a six. Well, I have this blade, and they're they're both premium premium quality, but one is a one bond, and excellent even up to quartzite. The other one is a is a three bond. And it's it's great but it's gonna work on granite. So, you know, it I wanna help people be able to make good decisions and 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 shorten the learning curve as as quickly as they possibly can. And you know, I talked earlier about uh having a good relationship with your distributor, but I, I also want to encourage people to to use the other information that's out there, I mean, you've got the Stone Fabricators Alliance, you've got the Natural Stone Institute, you, uh, uh, Tile Geeks, the Ceramic Tile and Stone Association. You have you have all these organizations, and and you know their ultimate motive is is to help the contractor. Then you also have the trade magazines like the the Tile Letter and Stone World. Um, you know, use all the resources. But but what I hope to do is is help people understand, uh, you know what they're buying and make good decisions. So that that's the goal at Tice. And having the visuals, I think, will will help a lot. We're a little bit handicapped here, but you know, you and I did the the PowerPoint last week, and right. you know, it's it's information overload. But I hope good you learned something else. from it.
0: Oh, absolutely, good stuff. You know, some really good stuff, stuff that, uh, you know, I've been in this business 40 years, and you showed me stuff I didn't know. So it was it was really interesting, extremely interesting. All
1: right, there is – oh, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. I was going to say, i got two well, other questions for you, and uh, you probably pretty much covered this. So a- any final tips that you would give anybody out there as far as, uh you know, diamond tooling goes, whether it's, you know, the saw blades, core bits, or, you know, uh, polishing abrasives?
1: No, just just like I said, having a good relationship with your supplier, um, knowing the resources that, that are out there. Um, I mean, I, I give out my phone number to pretty much everybody um, so that I'm always available. And, um, um, you know, and then the other thing that, that where I get frustrated is uh, – Unrealistic expectations. I I use the quote all the time that all anger comes from unrealistic expectations. And, you know, maybe your expectations aren't realistic. So, so by being involved with your suppliers and, and the, the resources that are out there, you know, maybe you'll have a better handle on what is and what, what isn't realistic. Uh, I, you know, I got someone that, that told me the other day that, uh, they can get two hundred and fifty inches uh a minute in decton. Wow. Uh um, yeah, really. I'd I'd have to say show me, 'cause yeah, I think that's an unrealistic expectation. So so, you know, having these peer groups I, I think is the the biggest benefit that that you can have.
0: Absolutely. So my my last question, actually there uh, are two more questions, and that is okay. uh, if you've already said you'd give your phone number out, if people want to contact you, how would they get a hold of you?
1: Um, you know, I don't want to bury myself, but uh, <laughs> um, maybe maybe what we'll do is on your on your blog, we can, we can put my contact information.
0: Okay, cool,
1: um, that's great. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm comfortable to do that in my email address. I mean, it's weird. My, my title with the company is, uh, tile and stone specialist. I I don't know what that means. I think it means I'm the guy that you're going to ask. So I'm I'm good with that.
0: (laughs) The company's website.
1: Um, GT com, And then we also have a, a, a retail division where we work with like hardware stores and, um, that is diamondvantage.com so two completely separate companies different catalogs different uh uh you know, different structures different part numbers um for end users uh, diamondvantage.com probably best uh that's the that's the uh website that we put in the tile letter magazine okay
0: and then my last question, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But someone asked me to ask you this question. So I'm going to throw it out there as a, I guess as a joke or anything else. How come diamond blade salesmen are so annoying?
1: <laughs> oh man, that's that's not a fair question. Hi. No. That I agree. But 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 hold on. Let, I I I I will uh, I I will answer that. Okay. Um First off, like I said earlier, a lot of the the, the the recipe in your diamond tools, that's proprietary. Yep. I'm not going to tell you the percentages of nickel versus steel versus cobalt versus bronze. So the average sales guy, he doesn't even, he doesn't have that information. Right. He's relying on us as a manufacturer to guide him, and then, you know, and then he guides you. Um, but any industry has good and bad salespeople. I like stereo equipment. I've met stereo sales guys that are phenomenal and a wealth of knowledge, and I've met some that are beyond annoying. But um here's what I what I would say is that to be kind the way that we're trained. You follow me on that? Yeah, I do. So so if you've got an annoying salesman that may be the way that he was trained. That that's probably more his managers or his company's fault. So um, it's a fair question because I got to tell you over 35 mm-hmm. years, I've been, I've been called lots of things, um, <laughs> but uh, there, there's good and bad. They're, they're not all, they're not all bad at all.
0: Well, you know, I always say, and you know, you happen to fall into one of these categories, not the annoying one, but, uh, you know, knowledge is everything. If a, uh, someone's trying to sell me something and they're very knowledgeable about their product that, that, that comes across. Uh, if you've got someone that, you know, avoids questions, uh, won't give you the information you need. And I'm not talking about proprietary stuff there. Then, then you're talking about someone that that was their product. And I, I think that holds true for whether you're selling diamonds or whether you're selling cars. Uh, it, it really, it really doesn't matter. So all right, Adam. Yeah, I, for I think-
1: sure. I, I, I'm, I'm still, Learning. Thirty five years in. I'm still learning. Right now I'm learning uh things from our in industrial side of the company and the newest one is CMP. You ever heard of that? No. Chemical mechanical planarization. It's how you polish microchips. And mm-hmm. and it's not measured on a gloss meter, it's measured in angstroms. And wow. you know, I started getting into this and my head almost exploded. So a real professional never stops learning. So I, I can, I can leave it at that.
0: Absolutely. Well, I thank you for your time. And I want to remind everybody that uh, Adam's going to talk a lot about this in his presentation at, at TICE, which is coming up. I want to say it's January 27th, somewhere around at that time. I, I don't know the exact dates unless, unless you do. Uh, I think it's, it's
1: deb- the first week of February. 'Cause oh, yeah, we right. we do we do both. We do the World of Concrete and then we do uh TICE. So okay. I I believe it's the first week of February. And we're gonna have a booth. Our our flagship brand is Genesis, Zenesis, Z E N E S I S. And we'll have a big booth and and hopefully people will come over and see us and ask us questions and um we usually hand out some pretty good uh uh Toys. So uh come see us there.
0: Good. Great. Well I'll I'll definitely see you there because I'll be presenting as well. Uh so awesome. Adam again, thanks for all this information. This is some great information and uh uh Wolf well, any last minute comments before we let you go?
1: No, man, I think you covered it and then some.
0: All right, appreciate it, buddy. All right. Talk, talk to you. Talk soon. Talk to you soon. Alrighty. All right, folks, I'm going to take a quick break here. When I come back, I'll wrap things up. So I'll be right back right after this. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains. Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Tough Skin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with a proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right. It's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years and Toughskin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at TuffSkinProtection.com. That's T U F F skin com to learn more. Alrighty folks. We're back. I hope that information was useful. It definitely, uh, some, some really, really good information. And we only touched on some of it. I, I spent, uh, over an hour with with Adam going over some of this stuff and I was like, wow, stuff that, that I didn't know. So, uh, definitely check them out, uh, check out their, their website. And, uh, if you have any questions, uh, You know, use their technical hotline there, which I'm sure is on their website. Uh, And, of course, you can contact me. And, again, I'll wrap things up. I'm going to be doing my seminar. I'll be doing one at Tice as well. Uh, We're going to be doing one with David Bonestera on sealers, uh, as well as the one there with with Adam on diamond. So you definitely want to check that out. Uh, But then, again, after that show, I'm doing my stone and tile inspection and troubleshooting seminar as well. So if you want to get in on that, uh, definitely give me a holler. My personal cell phone number is 321-514-6845, or you can send me an email at fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. Well, folks, until next time, thanks for listening. Keep setting those tiles, fabricating those tops, and polishing that stuff.